You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. Good morning, 10 o'clock, and you can be seated. Glad all of you are here today. We begin a brand new series called In-House. Like, what happens when, when this happens? What happens when God's people gather together? Let me just tell you, something unique happens when we come into his presence together. Something powerful happens when we come into his presence together. Something mysterious. I'm not sure in the course of the next three weeks I can even explain to you, perhaps because I do not fully understand myself, the mysterious thing that happens when God's people come together to worship him with one voice, one heart, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But I think this series is a really important one. It's just going to be three weeks, especially in light of the last 19 months. How important it is for us to be together. You hear a lot of things being said in our nation today about the church or about Christianity or about this or about us or about you. Hear things like, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. I'm interested in God, but I'm not going to go to church. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And if you read social media or you eavesdrop on others in the restaurants, not that I would do that, (laughs) or listen to some in Waco today, the wife of Jesus, the bride of Jesus is being verbally brutalized. I mean, the church is taking some punches right in the face. But, but what does God say about his church? What does God say about us? What does God say about, about this gathering? Because also, if you listen closely enough, sadly, you'll even hear some Christians speaking poorly about the church. But what does God say? I'm assuming that's why you come to church on a Sunday. And not just to hear one more person give a few more opinions. But we gather to hear what God says to us through his word. In fact, I would plead with you, don't come to church unless you are here to hear what God says to you. This is the joy and the power of the word of God. It is truth for all people at all places at all times. So we open up God's word. We hear what God says to us. So with that, let's go to the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament the last 11 weeks. I do know there is a New Testament, so let's go to the book of Hebrews together. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is about nine books from the end of the Bible. If you're relatively new to church or relatively new to bringing a Bible with you, if you're looking for it on your device this morning, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be. As you get there, let me just tell you that we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of guesses, probably even a lot of good guesses out there. I have my own guess that I won't share with you so you don't think about it the rest of the morning. But really the bottom line is we don't know exactly who it was, but we do know the Holy Spirit gave it to someone. And we do know that it's God's word to God's people today. So in Hebrews chapter 10, let's start in verse 19 together as we begin this series of in-house. What happens when the people of God gather? What uniquely, powerfully, profoundly, mysteriously happens when God's people gather together? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and ladies, don't feel left out. This is a word brethren. It means therefore church, family of God. Since we have confidence 
to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he, Christ, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's, let's stop right there at verse 21. Basically, those first three verses summarize the gospel. Those first three verses, 19 through 21, summarizes the good news that God has made a way for us to know him. God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. God has made a way for us to be reconciled to a relationship with him. How? To be forgiven of our sins by the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so in light of this gospel, in light of this good news, look at verse 22. Because that is true, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, God, who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that's the day of Christ coming, drawing near. Don't close that Bible. Let's start at the, at the very end of this. Look at, look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together. If you have a New American Standard this morning, it probably uses the word assembling together or the assembling of, of one another in other words, the, the, the Lord is telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us here in verse 25, it's a dangerous habit not to meet together. But Durham, that's my last name, but Durham, they weren't in the middle of a pandemic. But, but, but Durham, they, they, they weren't busy like we're so busy. They didn't have the ability to travel on weekends and just go wherever they wanted to go. You're right. You're right. But Nero, Nero was the emperor of Rome during this time when the book of Hebrews was written. And, and Nero was crucifying Christians. He was having them dipped in oil and then lit on fire to light some of the major thoroughfares of the Roman Empire. Nero would take the outside carcass of an animal and wrap it around a living Christian and drop that Christian before the wild dogs. That's what's happening in a worldwide persecution of Christians during this time. And even though they were being killed as they gathered, they were being killed as they identified themselves as Christ followers, God still says, I want you to meet together. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves. Now, let me be very clear this morning as I start. I'm not trying to strong arm or guilt anyone to coming back into in-person worship. I only want to encourage you to do something that God and his word encourages you to do. In fact, don't listen to anything a pastor encourages you to do unless they can show it to you in God's word. The phrase right there, meeting together, again, your Bible might render that word assembling together, is a very unique Greek word. It's a long Greek word. It has six syllables to it. It's episun gaoge. Episun gaoge is the word, the Greek word for our two English words pressed together, meeting together or assembling together. The word epi means two. Um, sin, S-Y-N, is the word together, like our English word uh, to synthesize or, or, or synergy, things brought together. 
And then the, the Greek word uh, sungago is the word together. In fact, sungago is where we get that word synagogue, uh, a gathering of, of God's people. And let me just tell you, it's a very awkward Greek word when you try to translate it into English, because really, if you were to translate it literally, it would be together together. People together gathering together. In other words, people who can identify with one another, stand on common ground, they are together, are called to gather, to be connected, to be in the same place. So I think really what we see right here, even in that word, the, the meeting together is people who are together are to gather together is simply this. We're not an aggregation. We're a congregation. An aggregation, if you will, would be the state of individual things being collected, almost in a passive verb sense, being collected into a mass assembly. So an aggregation in, in a church sense would be people who just almost accidentally showed up here at the same time in the same place, almost against our will. We just kind of happened to be here. We just happened to hear some words that the preacher guy is going to say. And we happened just to sing a few songs together. That would be an, an aggregation. But a congregation is very different. A congregation is a corporate body of members who actively, purposely come together for a purpose. In fact, they congregate. They congregate, an active verb, they congregate on purpose with a purpose. People who have common ground, choosing together, they congregate on purpose or for a purpose. I know aggregation is a, is a big SAT word, and I'm seeing in some of your faces right now, you're not following me, so let me make it a little bit more simple than that. We're not marbles, we're grapes. How about that? Um, marbles are, are autonomous. They are cold. They are identical in size and shape. They neither grow nor do they reduce. They just simply ricochet off of one another. They're not living. They're not dynamic. In fact, they won't move unless somebody else moves them. We're grapes. We're interconnected in this new life. In fact, we have a common vine who is Jesus Christ. We're a cluster of grapes. Our lives touch each other. We're interconnected. We're interdependent. We're adopted by the same dad. We're family. We're dynamic. We're, we're living. We're not all the same size, not all the same shape. We're not identical to one another. We're a team of like-minded, like-hearted, like-redeemed, like-focused sisters and brothers. We're family. So we serve together. We, we worship together. We are bonded together. We are in this life together. The Bible is filled with these one another's. Look at, look at verse 24. Here's one of the one another's. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. We also see a one another in verse 25, the very next verse, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's mutuality. When we gather for church, we come not just to be taught, not just to be consoled, not just to be comforted, but we gather here so we can teach one another. We come here to teach and to console and to comfort ourselves. And so it's not just this passive thing that we come in just so someone can tell us something, but we gather so we can tell each other things about the goodness of God, about the love of God, about the greatness of God. We are to encourage one another. 
So I have a long list of questions for you. At least I had a long list of questions for you earlier this week. I just reduced them to three questions. But here's the first question I have you. Are you supporting another? Can, can you think of someone right now? Can you identify someone that you're spiritually supporting yourself? Because we are called to do this to one another. Let me ask you this question. Are you encouraging another? I mean, is there anyone's name that comes to your mind right now or a situation of the past seven days in which you could say, yes, I understood this mutuality of Christianity and I am encouraging someone else. How about this? Have you opened up your heart, your life to another? See, this is really the story of true biblical Christianity, true New Testament Christianity. Sadly, we have reduced it here in the West for you to come and just listen to a speaker. And you go home and we'll see you in seven days. That is not the case of New Testament church, New Testament Christianity. We are in this with one another and for one another. We are encouraging one another. We are supporting one another. We are, we are praying for one another. We are spurring one another on toward good works. You can come to church every single Sunday and miss this completely. Unless you're in a smaller group, in a CG or an ABF in a soul care group, in a men's Bible study on Wednesday night, a women's Bible study on, on Wednesday nights. You can miss the one another's of Scripture unless you put yourself with a group of, of grapes because we're a living, dynamic, interdependent people. I know here in the West, we feel like we're so independent. But let me tell you something, Christian. Not only are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit for power for every day, This is humbling to say we are dependent upon each other. I am dependent upon you. You are dependent upon the brothers and sisters who are seated around you. You're dependent upon me. That should be really the story of the New Testament picture of the church. By the way, there are 57 more one another's in the New Testament. I'll just cover these two today. You're welcome. We won't go through the other 55. What's happening here in the book of Hebrews is that the the writer of Hebrews is beginning to flex a little bit because the book of Hebrews is really written to compare the Old Testament follower of God with the New Testament follower of God. The book of Hebrews really is a bridge, it's it's a juxtaposition, it's a side-by-side comparison of how God communicated to his people in the Old Testament and now how God is communicating to his people in the New Testament. So he's beginning to flex right here because he's showing a major shift. In the Old Testament, only one person could go into the presence of God. It was the great high priest, and when he went in there, he went with fear and trepidation. It was a dangerous thing to enter even solo into the presence of God. No one else even dared draw near. But look at verse 19 through verse 22. But therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, not fear, confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he, Christ, opened for us through that curtain. Again, that is his body, his flesh. And since now we have a great priest over the house of God, that is Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. In other words, we have been redeemed. We've been washed from sin, from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the change. Now, listen, you might want to write this down. We get to go together into God's presence. This is what happens when we come together on a Sunday morning. And yes, yes, you can go into the presence of God by yourself, Christian. At home, at work, 
in the car. You can go into the presence of God by yourself, escorted by Jesus Christ. But here's the good thing. It's just so much more fun when we do it together. And we get to hear the voices of people around us. It's so much more fun when, a, when an eight-year-old is a part of it and an 80-year-old is a part of it and every age in between. I mean, I, I've got a long list of things I love about the Highland family. One of, one of my things somewhere at the top is I love this is not a young person church only. I also love it's not an old person church only. There's only young people at Highland. We get a lot of things done with no wisdom. Yes. Old people here only would get nothing done but have a lot of wisdom. <laughs> It's a good partnership. Since 1985, it's the first time since Acts chapter 2 that five generations are actually worshiping together within the church. How important it is that we see we get to come together into the presence of God. Through the grace of Jesus, we can draw near together. That's the joy. It should be the joy of Sunday gatherings for us. And it's a miss when you're not here. When we get to go to God together, it changes us. It makes us unselfish. It melts us into mercy. When we get near God, it transforms us. I would submit to you, and you can disagree if you want to. It's John Dash Durham at hbcwaco.org if you want to email me your disagreement. I think the New Testament makes no sense unless you read it through the lens of the local church. Unless you read it through us, together, the body of Christ coming together into the presence of God. It's almost impossible. Once you get after the, into the book of, beginning the book of Acts, all of the book of Revelation, it's about us. It's about the people of God. It's about our spiritual gifts coming together to carry on the ministry that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. The New Testament makes no sense unless you read it through the lens of the local church. There are three in-house verbs I want you to see in this passage this morning. We'll wrap this up. Three in-house verbs I want you to see. Here's the first one. It's the word consider. And we see it in verse 24. And let us consider. If you were to read that in Greek, actually the word one another would be right after the word consider. And let us consider one another. So verse 24 is the first in-house verb we see is the word consider. And it means that we see and we know others around us. It means you don't just march in at 10 a.m. or 10.03 for some of you or 10.08 for some of you and just find a seat and as soon as those announcements are over, you jump up and you're out of here. That's not, let me just say this, that's not church. You're at a performance or at an event. When we gather as God's people, we consider those around us. We, come, we see people around us. We, we, we get to know people who are around us. If, if it's just their name or just a little bit of their story or how you can pray for them, that's church. We come and we, we consider, we see and know others around us. We take the time to see each other. We take the time to know each other. We take the time to intentionally find ways to serve one another, to help one another. We intentionally help each other grow up in our faith. We listen for opportunities. This is what it means to consider. See, if you just run in at 10.05 and you sprint out as quick as you can, you have not listened for any opportunity to serve others. If you sprint in and sprint out, you're not looking for opportunities in which you can serve and help and encourage others. Next Sunday, we're going to take some time to do that. We're going to take some time together. 8.40, 10 o'clock, 11.20, all of us together. We're going to take some time to look for and listen to some opportunities. Here's the second in-house verb. It's the word stir. 
Uh, we see that also in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. If you have the NIV this morning, it uses the word spur. <laughs> I love this word in Greek because the word means to irritate. And some of y'all do this pretty well, to, to, to irritate. We are to irritate one another. Toward what? We're not irritating one another toward frustration. What does it say here? We're irritating one another toward love. We're pushing one another toward, toward good works. We're stirring one another toward godliness. We're spurring one another toward godliness. Here's what it means. We're challenging each other toward deeper lives. The biggest flaws in my life, I don't see very well. In fact, probably the definition of some of our greatest sins are the ones in which we are self-deceived ourselves. And so I need someone else to call me out. I need other people to, to inspect my life and to say, Durham, here, here are some things in your life that don't look like Jesus. I want to stir you. I want to spur you toward love. I want to stir you up toward good works. I want to irritate you toward godliness. We all need people to challenge us. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in his amazing book, Mere Christianity. God works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. I think that has to be true of the local church. That's that iron sharpening iron. That is you and I in love and in truth and in grace and in kindness pushing one another to look more and more like Jesus. And in times in my life, I'll, just, I'll, be, the, I'll be the first one times in my life where you see that I'm not acting like Jesus, talking like Jesus, responding like Jesus, being generous like Jesus, call me out. Call me out. And it should be the same for all of us. Yes, that there are things in my life that don't reflect Christ. Would you irritate me toward Christ-likeness? Would you push me toward godliness? Here's the third in-house verb we see is the word encourage. And it's in, the, in, in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. To encourage means you come alongside and you support each other. I mean, during good times and during difficult times, although we often want it mostly during difficult times. The word encourage is almost the exact opposite of the word to stir. The word stir, again, means to irritate. The word spur means to irritate. The, the word right here, encourage, is the great Greek word parakleo which sounds very much like the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, paraclete. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is the one who walks alongside us, the one who walks with us. In the same way, we are to encourage one another by walking with one another, supporting one another, coming alongside and supporting each other. It's a very strong word. The word encourage is a very strong word. In fact, the etymology of the word encourage means to, mean, means to put courage inside of somebody. It's a strong word, but it's also a very compassionate word to come alongside someone and comfort them in difficult days of life. So would you just see with me here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, let's just look through this again. I want you to see that this is about us, not just about a relationship that you have with God through Christ, although that's the most important relationship ever. So it's not just the vertical we see happening right here in Hebrews chapter 10. It's also the horizontal, our relationship to one another. So look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, sisters, plural, since we, plural, have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open for us, plural, plural, 
through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we, plural, have a great priest of the house of God, let us, plural, draw near the true heart and full assurance of faith with our, plural, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies, plural, washed with pure water. Let us, plural, hold fast the confession of our, plural, hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us, plural, consider how to stir up one another, connotes plurality. To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, connotes plurality, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another connotes plurality. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ drawing near. Christianity makes no sense. The New Testament makes no sense unless you see it and read it through the lens of the gathering of God's people. Would you stand with me, please? In the Old Testament, families would come together. God's people would come together and they would make a journey into Jerusalem. You would always have to go up to get to Jerusalem. So there's 15 Psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, These are the songs that they sang as they traveled together. It was about a 17-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. The elevation increase was about 3,400 feet. So it's a steep journey. It often would take them 17 to 20 hours to make this trip because you have little kids with you. You had your cousins with you. Grandma and granddad were with you. Uncle and aunts, they were with you. And you would make this trip together as you ascended to the house of God. As you made your way to the holy city, the city of God, the city of peace, Jerusalem. And they would make their way up and they would sing songs as they gathered together and traveled together as God's people, as God's family. They would sing things like, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. The parents would sing to their children, children are an inheritance from the Lord. As they got closer and closer to Jerusalem, they could see the mountains surrounding the city, and they would sing this song. The mountains surround Jerusalem just like God surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. They get closer and closer to the house of the Lord, closer and closer to worship together in the house of the Lord. Now, if you cannot smile, you can at least grin. If you cannot clap, you can at least tap. If you can't dance, at least you can sway because finally they would see it and they would say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord.